Okay, so uh, hopefully we'll finish the 18th letter today. Um, we're on page 276 in the Rabbi Elias edition. Um, yeah. So again, he's, he's, uh, he's coming to the end and he's, uh, he, he just gave his kind of prescription for moving forward, for, uh, for what he thinks the path forward is, Tan Yeshivas, Tanakh, the spirit of Yiddishkeit. And he says the following, All of you who are still loyal to Judaism, who have inherited it as a matter of habit, and plan to hand it down again to you by habit, right? In other words, right, Mitzvah Sanashim Lamada, you're just a Yid because your father was a Yid, your grandfather was a Yid. All of you that are just, you know, kind of just going with the flow. So in other words, he's speaking to people that are completely reformed and trying to get them, send your kids to Yeshiva. What about, oh, you're from guy, but uh, Yiddishkeit is whatever. It is what it is, you know? Let your eyes be open to recognize that you will be able to transmit it only through ideas. You can't expect, right? They can't expect to have a Yiddishkeit that's dry and meaningless, and, and that your children are not going to care about it. It's just not going to happen. Right? I mean, it's... Uh, I, remember, I remember listening once to Ramnata Schiller, the Shiva in Ar-Sameh. He was talking about... Uh, he used to raise money. He was very successful raising money from non-religious Jews. But, you know, first generation, you know, after the Holocaust, very wealthy Jews, they came over here. And they still had a feeling for Yiddishkeit, for Jewish education, for Jewish continuity. And, you know, they were very, very big donors to, to from causes. But then the second, their kids are ready, that's it. Like they had no, Yiddishkeit meant zero to them. They had no sense of appreciation for it and it was just gone. If, you, if you're not, if you yourself, you know, are, are, are dry nothing, then you're going to pass on, uh, you know, even less, right? At least give your sons and daughters the sacred writings, Tarun, Avim, Exuvim, so that the spirit throbbing in them may become their beacon of light and support in life, right? If you're not going to be able to inspire them yourself because you yourself are, are kind of empty, then at least give them the tools that, you know, give them Tanakh, let them read, let them read Tyre, let them read the, the Tehillim, Yeshaya, let them, let them see what Yiddishkeit is. And you who are men of integrity among those who think they are working for the well-being of Judaism at this time, consider that you cannot give rise to new life merely by helping to loosen fetters from hand and foot and by stressing the adornment of fine clothing and outward appearance. Now, you know, he's talking about people, you know, that uh, they're reformers. You think that you're making things better. You're working, you know, but uh, you're completely, you're barking up the wrong tree. But again, stay the hand that you have lifted to tear down the battlements of your faith. Right? You see, the reformers spending so much time tearing down Yiddishkeit. Reconsider whether you are not about to destroy an edifice that contains things sacred and eternal, treasures of life and truth, and that appear to you to be worthy only of the sledgehammer merely because it is covered with the dust of the centuries. He's saying something very important there. He's telling, you know, and, he's, and again, you have to know how much of this is like, you know, is, is, is kind of just the way. And he's writing, he's, you know, trying to kind of carry, you know, he's trying to like inspire the reform. But what he's saying is that reformed Jews, at least the leaders, right, we look at them as this terrible Rasham, but a great many of them cared for Jews. They cared for Yiddishkeit. Right, Yiddishkeit was suffering. Right, the Jews had gone through such terrible times, and you know, and and they saw you know their reforms as a way of reforming Yiddishkeit, as a way of improving Yiddishkeit, as a way of you know. Now they were completely wrong because they did so by rejecting the Torah, but their efforts were there to improve Yiddishkeit. They right? they were actually doing something in a positive way. They weren't just sitting doing nothing. That was what he's. That's what he's going to say. To do nothing is the worst, right? Now they were doing something wrong, and so he's begging them instead of taking a sledgehammer to Yiddishkeit, consider maybe that there's actually something there to save, right? You know, you look at all. The efforts that these, you know, even today, you know, the reformers and women of all these things that they're busy with these movements, like 
at least they're actually yidden and they're doing something in the name of Judaism. They're completely wrong. It's complete garbage, right? And it's connected to Tyra, right? We had today's uh, daf, right? All about Leisilbash, you know, we came all the sigils of Leisilbash and all the, you know, but in the very least, these are people that are working towards what they consider to be the improvement of Yiddishkeit. So now he's just asking them, consider maybe that there's, that there's a genuine Yiddishkeit that you should focus on instead of just destroying, you know, the ancient Yiddishkeit. He says, look, Yiddishkeit, he said, is covered by the dust of the centuries. Yes. He looked at Judaism, the way it was practiced, this in the in the shtetl in the uh, well, what's it called in the fiddler over there, right? In the shtetl where it was just boring. It was mada. It was just rules and regulations and, and pressure and this that. And you look at Yiddishkeit, there's no relation to real life. It's just about a bunch of ceremonies and all the things that he spoke about in the beginning of the letter. And that's a Yiddishkeit covered by dust. And the people that are promoting it are what they're shrying and they're this and they're, they're just dust covered Yiddishkeit, right? This is where a person who'll write about this really in the in the in the nineteenth letter. He talks about how lonely he is, right? Because he's willing to kind of, you know, uh, to, to speak against, you know, the right-wingers of his generation. How you guys are, right? The reaction was always, usser, usser, right? That was, you know, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the uh, you know, in, 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 you know, the next generation, right? about 100 years later, right? In the, you know, in the, in the 1900s in Poland, right? You had the Piazzesna, right? He writes, Chavis HaTamidim, and like, you know, Aaron Lapiansky, he talks about it, like, appreciating it in its time, where like, you know, you did something wrong, we smacked you, they yelled at you, you're a kaifa, you're not bikairis. And he's writing this safer, which is like, you, you think it was written by like this, you know, this, this hippie almost, like in his introduction about the love and the, the you know, t- right? This does, he, he's, he's uh, you know, the, the way that we fought things always was the way they always did it, through force, through, you know, pressure and cheirims and all that kind of stuff. And that, and that wasn't working. And Rav Hirsch is willing to stand up and say, guys, the Yiddishkeit that you're preserving is covered in dust. You guys are covered in dust, right? And so you can't blame people that want to throw it out. But he's begging them, don't throw it out, right? Turn your eyes, which you averted, back to it again and examine once more just what it is that you're leaving behind. Surely the cause of Judaism is not at fault and should not suffer just because its champions, themselves covered with the dust of the battles against misery and oppression, could save it only covered with the grime of the past. So yes, we, in order to preserve Yiddishkeit, we, we, again, Yiddishkeit went through terrible persecution and tragedies and ghettos and pogroms and all the things that you know, we weren't allowed to be part of the world and therefore Yiddishkeit, we got full of dust and Yiddishkeit was full of dust and we worked and we sacrificed everything to preserve it, but don't judge Yiddishkeit based on the way it's presented, right? It's, this, is, this is the way, unfortunately, this is the way the times have left it. But uh, before you just throw it away, you care about Yiddishkeit, you care about Jews, consider maybe that there's something here um, very, very precious underneath. We, to whom the mildness of the times has given the task of removing the dust, right? Now we're, Baruch Hashem, we're free, we have freedom, emancipation, and now we have the ability to remove the dust, should we have so little respect for the efforts and struggles of these men that we do not consider it worthwhile to cleanse this precious jewel for our own benefit, to discover what it was they fought for? Yes, maybe the Yiddishkeit that they left you was a little bit dry, it was a little bit tough, but you know something? What did they give their lives for? What did thousands and thousands of Jews give their lives for? What did they sacrifice for? What were they willing to live as paupers and, and, and you know, completely cut off from life and the shtetls? You know, what was it that they were willing to do it for? Should we just look at its dusty exterior and solely because of that cast away as worthless, the precious possession for which our ancestors sacrificed life, property, and liberty, and all of life's joys? Right, should we? But I'm forgetting, my dear Binyam, that only heaven hears these wishes and only this paper sees them that I am writing only to you. And he's kind of saying that, look, I know I'm, I'm you know, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm trying, but who's listening? 
You know, you have the, the world, no one's listening. You know, you have the reformers, they're not going to listen. They're not going to change. And I'm just writing, you know, uh, like almost like in a depressing way, like, you know, I'm writing here on this paper, what's, uh, you know, who, who's listening? Who's going to actually change? But again, let's, we'll see as he finishes this letter and the next letter, you know, light and truth and life will emerge from these trying times. Be sure of it, my friend. Imagine writing this, you know, imagine writing this, the confidence to write such a thing when, when everything is falling apart. Everything is falling apart, right? Light and truth and life will emerge from these trying times. Be sure of it, my friend. And then you will see in a different light the situation which together we have been deploring. The seemingly hopeless state of the spiritual concerns of our people. And he says something here which is, again, very, very, uh, very fascinating. He says here, and again, this is going to go on until like the end of the letter, he says, there is no official leadership no central authority, only efforts by individuals. Right now, at this point, and this is something which in our times is to way to the extreme of that even, right? There's no central authority. There's no rabbi who gets up there and he makes a declaration, this is the way it is, and this is what we're going to do, and this is what you learn. There's no power, right? The government got rid of that whole central authority. The whole rabbinic authority, even within towns, is gone, right? There's only individuals. Right? And that's, by the way, that's, that's just a, it's a general point that he's making over here. You know, it's not going to be his point. He's going to have a different point. But the idea that, that um, you know, that like the answer to any issue is like start an organization. You know what I mean? And to like make some sort of centralized place where we're going to solve Kaisel's problems. It's like, stop, it's like just stop wasting your time, right? The, the, the change of Kaisel is something which grows, which is a process over time, over centuries, right? Over decades, years, decades, centuries, right? And the way that it's done is through individuals, through one, I think I mentioned this maybe even last week, that the, I wanted to start like, a, like a, after the whole um, Obergefell Supreme Court decision, so I said, oh, you know, we have to start an organization to be mechazik, you know, marriage in, in Klal Yisrael, right? Because again, it's under attack, the concept of marriage is for Isha. Let's start, I, so I, went, I told the viral Piancy, we'll start an organization. It's like, so what's this organization going to do? I said, we're going to have speeches and we're going to put out things. It's like, okay, it isn't that, you know what I mean? You're not, you're, not, you're not changing anything with your speeches. He says, if you want to start a chabura, shalom bayis vad, chabura, group of people, even like sponsoring speeches, you know what I mean? It's actually individuals working on themselves on your individual level with some chevra. That's how things change and you're actually going to make an impact on a person and that grows to his children, to his neighbors. And that's where growth comes from. Right? The fact that you know, there's no central authority, individuals, in, and that's just in the world where, there's no, where, where we don't have any power, that's the only way to do things. But he's saying a point like this. As a result of the striving for reform, the religious services around which this whole movement for reform is apparently revolving have taken so many different forms. In other words, we have reformed Judaism. Right? We're no longer anchored to the way things were for a thousand years. Right? And so we have reform. But everyone's on their own. It's a free form, right? There's no even central reform person. All right, later on we'll have a central reform movement. But every rabbi is doing what they want. Every person is what they want. So what, that a Jew traveling through Germany can find a different service in every congregation, right? Every shul is doing their own thing because every, this guy's got his reform. He's doing the piano. He's doing the organ. He's having the lady. He's having the this. And everyone's doing their own thing. Because, all right, can you not see that this too has a positive side, Right? This has a positive side. Now again, you know, Rav Elias in the back, obviously he's all, you know, you know playing it down. Rav Hirsch, obviously he wouldn't recommend that we, that we have this kind of wild, wild west, right? But, you know, Rav Hirsch is making a point that the fact that there's so many different views and there is no power, and even though this means that everyone is free to be as, more reformed than the next, but the fact that we have so many competing voices, right, this is the idea of like free speech, right? Is that when you have political free speech, you have all different voices and hopefully it will come to the truth. Right? No more what? No more 
Also. Yeah, that's a problem. But that, that, that's, that's already gone. That's neither here nor there. That, that, the fact that there's no authority and the reform, they're already here. That's what Rabbi Elias writes in the back. He's like, look, a verse wouldn't do this. Like be well, listen to this argument. I'm convinced that not one of us now living appreciates Judaism and its purity and truth, right? And again, the next letter he'll talk with tremendous anava. You know, the idea that he has the truth and no one else. He says, no one today has the truth. Right, we're at two thousand years of Gullus without having you know a Sanhedrin and a Navi tell us the way the Yiddishkeit is and should be. No one here has has a monopoly on truth. Take into account the differences of opinion, which are quite natural, since every rabbi is obliged to find his own individual way, and no school guides him. Right. So, in other words, when you're considering Yiddishkeit, there is no one way. If there was a one way, then that one way would probably be in the hands of the reform, and then we would all be messed up, right? And if you know, if there was power and one person. Right? And then, or, or be too radical, then everyone would go off the direct the other way. He says, the fact that every rabbi is trying to do, that, even the, the from ones are trying to find what's right, look at all them and then try to come to the truth. Right? It's, a very, very, it's, a, it's a very, very humble point. Consider furthermore that we are passing through a period of birth throes. And if some authority were to try to establish a definitive order at, at this time, it would merely perpetuate the labor pains. Right? If we're going to now force everyone, okay, we decided this is the way to eat this kite. Everyone has to sing "Thank You Hashem" for two hours a day, and uh, you know, listen to uh, to Ramesha Weinberger, and that's that's what it's going to be, right? All you're doing is prolonging the agony because now people are not going to be able to come to the truth because now they've been stuffed with one view, and and he says no one has the hundred percent right. Right? What we need to have at this point is again, if you're living in the times of Yeshaya Navi. We'll go to Yeshaya, we'll go to Eliyahu Anavi, and we'll get the truth, and we'll find. But we're living at a time now where that's gone, and therefore, who knows the truth? And so to force people into a specific mold is just going to prolong the agony. It's going to prolong the time when we're going to be able to come to a whole truth, which considers all the different assets, all the aspects, all the different facets. Right? We have, you know, we're we're two Litvish, we have the Hasidim, we have two Hasidish, we have the Litvaks, we have the Misnagdim, we have the term Derecheretz, we have the... Right? Because we're able, and we're able to come to what's ultimately going to be the whole truth. For how might leaders be chosen now? Imagine we had power, right? If one sided, they will perpetuate extreme approaches, right? If you have the extremists, then they're just going to be extreme, right? It represents a mixture of trends. Oh, yeah, okay, you're going to get a moderate leader, right? Then he's a nothing. They will stand for compromise, which would obstruct the tides of development that can bring the pure water of life only if it's allowed to run its full course. Right? If you don't have, this is a very important, Iron Talabiyas, he talks about this all the time. We need the extremists. You don't have to follow the extremists, but we need them to kind of set forth, right? You need a guy who's going to, you know, like a Satma Rebbe, who's gonna, not going to give an inch on things, right? Because that's going to, because if you're going to have compromise and you just weak and stand for nothing, right? The political center, the mush, we call them mush, you know, we call them, you know, what do they call them, rhinos, right? Whatever you want to call them, moderates. Everyone hates them, right? Because they're standing for nothing, right? But there's an aspect there also. As matters, as matters stand now, however, whatever time has wrought, it will undo again, leaving space for the towering edifice that is waiting to be established. Right? Don't worry about it. Give things time. And yes, there's going to be some destruction. These are labor pains. We're going through the labor pains of Yiddishkeit. And hopefully what will emerge is a beautiful edifice of Yiddishkeit. And again, this is a work in progress. It takes time and centuries. And we're still probably in the middle of this process. But don't, you know, recognize. And, and, and it's something which, by the way, I think, you know, today we, we, we're kind of realizing, right? There's a tremendous achtos that we have. We don't have to all agree. And we shouldn't all agree. But that we're, you know, expressing different ideas. And that we're all... We're, there's what to take from all of them. Even if you're very, very silly, I assure you, I am very, very much in one 
particular camp. But there's tremendous things to be gained from, from different things, and we shouldn't have this force. So the idea that we have, right, as a matter of fact, you know, what bothers me more is when we're all kind of the same, right? Like, like you know, it used to be, at least in Europe, right, you had different shtetlach, with different, every town had their own minhag, and this was the minik Frankfurt, this was the minik this. Now it's like one shul, like in the, in Borough Park, decided to start pointing with the pinky. Now we're all pointing with the pinky. Well, again, point with the pinky, right? It's like, there's no such thing now. I remember like, I remember like by my chasana. So I had in my head that the, yeah, the, 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 someone told me, one of the rabbis there, yeah, you take out your tie and you untie your shoes. So I did it because I didn't know anything. And then I was like, I don't know, it's like complete, uh, it's all, I'm like a Gary and Minig. Fine, do it. This is very nice. But like, that it, all of a sudden, someone, you know, one person does, you know, chasana and kalo, not seeing each other a week before. Ah, it's like a Christian, to be honest, probably. I mean, it's not like, a, it's not really a, a halacha, it's a, no, rabbi? Okay, you know. The second one, what? So the first one has a the second one. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's a macar, but I'm saying, but that, that one person does it, now everyone does. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, now there's no one that's wife is not expecting, that's not doing psicha at least 20 times, right? We're all, because it all mixes, and there's no appreciation for differences. That, that, that's a problem he's saying, right? We have to appreciate differences as a good thing. Yeah, we all have Arsco, we all have mass produced things, and we're all, you know. If in the period after Maimonides, the Syria, right? It's like I spoke by Nicey, two nights ago, and I was speaking about. You know, so, so I said that Nirza is not a thing. It's not a simon. There's no simon of the Seder Nirza, right? The Rishonim wrote these poems to how to do your Seder, right? Kadej Orochatz. It's a poem that just goes through the whole Seder in a nice poetic way. And Nirza is not a thing. There's no, none of the Rishonim talk about Nirza. Most of the other poems, none of them mention the concept of Nirza. There was no like, Chalois, at the end of the Seder, we're going to sing songs. Halal used to sing songs at the end of the Seder. Halal Nirza means that either Halal would be Maratza through Hallel, or that Nirza the Seder should be Laratzen. And then sing songs, fine. That was the minute they sang songs. They said, Shir, Shir. But you know, it got printed in your, in your Haggadah, Nirza. Now we sing songs. Like they put Nirza before Chasal Sidr Pesach in the songs. And now it became like a whole Chalais. Okay, it's harmless. It doesn't mean anything. But like, you know, once things get into the art school, that's it. It's over. I'm not blaming art school for this. But uh, and in the Saydis and Ramazim and the words, and it's wonderful. But in terms of, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's not a good thing, right? When there's not, you know, you see now, there's no, when there's no diversity of ideas. If, there's, if we can say that this person has 100% truth, and the problem is that most people think that they have the access to the truth and they're the ones who are the only ones that have it right, right? Like me, right? No, but I always say, you see, it's not true. I always say that Rav Hirsch's approach and his philosophy allows for the other ones. In other words, there's, there's a Torah aspect, there's a, right? Because it's much more broad, right? When you're narrow, you know, when it's all about learning 24-7 and there's no other thing, then that doesn't allow for the other things. But Rav Hirsch's is a much more, again, he's a much more general philosophy of Yiddishkeit. Now, what do I think is the right thing to do? Of course, I'm 100%, as I said before. But ultimately, you know, we don't have a monopoly on truth. And Rav Hirsch's, you'll see this in the 19th letter, you never receive such words of humility that you can't even imagine. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah. So he says a very, very interesting over here. He says, if in the period after Maimonides, the serious concern for preserving the practical observance of Judaism had not made it necessary to curb conflicting philosophical tendencies. He says, after Maimonides, after the period of the Rambam, right? And so they had to ask their philosophy, right? So you had the Rambam and all the fights, and they would say, you know, we have to focus on preserving Yiddish, we have to focus, make sure that the Yiddish are keeping the Torah, 
No one's allowed to learn philosophy, right? And they had all these kinds of like bands, he said. Had they not done that, perhaps the exploration of all possible approaches might have led the Jewish mind to somber, to sober insight and may at this time have found ourselves at the point at which we can expect to, receive, to arrive only within centuries. In other words, if back then we allowed a free flow of ideas and we let people study the Rambam and then maybe study alternatives and you know, be open about philosophy, then by now we would have already been, went over it. We would have at least come to the truth and everyone would be on the same page and we'd have a genuine Yiddishkeit the way it's supposed to be. But he says, you know, but what happened was we banned philosophy, we banned this, and we said, you're not allowed to learn this, this is trait, this we have to burn. And then, and now we just like became stagnant, and now we're focusing dafka on Shulchan Aruch, and this is what you got to do, stop learning philosophy, stop learning hashkafa, stop with this, right? And then we just became, you know, it just ended up prolonging the agony because we didn't go through the birth pains. And so we have to appreciate the process. There's a process of growth, of Yiddishkeit, Neitzer Matai, Klai Yisrael is the growth of repeated plantings, Matai, Hashem plants us and plants us and every tkufa and every generation is bringing out new things, is presenting new perspectives and hopefully we come to the truth through study over time and also through trial and error. We see what works, what doesn't. Through Torah, through, through Siyat HaDashmaya, through Ashkacha, through learning from history and that's how we come to it. Hence, I can only rejoice that now the scales are hanging free held by Hashem alone, and that only intellectual efforts struggle for balance, unimpeded in their swinging by forcible interfere. Were they arrested again? If we stop letting the free flow of ideas, if we ban Reform Judaism, then we're back to square one. Our great-grandchildren would be no better off than we are, should we not for their sake be unafraid to go through these times of anxiety. You know, like, you know, I think about, you know, technology. Everyone's busy with that today. This is the challenge of technology. And yes, it's a, it's a you know, banning this, that... We're going to come to a better Hakara. Our children will be better at dealing with technology than we are. It's a growth pain, and it's very, very scary to see. And dealing with the you know, addictions and the anxieties of it. But, you know, it's a very, very new technology. And time will tell. Eventually, we're going to, you know, I was reading this book. It was all about sleep. And he's, and he's talking about sleep, how, you know, how we're very sleep deprived. It's a very big problem. We don't sleep enough and artificial light and all that. And he's like, but imagine if people went to sleep an hour earlier, right? People went to sleep an hour earlier. He said, you know what? That would, that would be a terrible tragedy to the economy. He says, you know, you know, Amazon, every time you're up on these, your devices, you're spending money, right? And, and, and it's just like this, this entire like, endeavor this is just gained to get you to spend money and time on these things. If you went to sleep on time and you, right, people are sleeping so little today, imagine you, you lose two hours of being on your phone and spending money and then giving these companies, right? It would affect the economy. That's how messed up we are right now, you know? He says, let the scales swing. The more freely they hang and the more reliable they will assess truth and life in the end, the more violently they must swing at this time. Let them swing. Let's have it out. Go full force. Don't try to shut down those voices. Don't try to say that you're trait. Let them swing, right? But once the scales have come to rest, the spirit of Yisrael will stand revealed in its full brilliance, comprehending itself, its teachings and its destiny, pervading all of Yisrael's members and endangering and engendering the fullest spirit of the soul. Eventually, you'll see, Yiddishkeit will shine. It will be back to its fullest. Then, too, the offshoot that came forth from Yisrael will have completed its mission and a battle of a different nature will have been concluded among our non-Jewish brethren, right? He talks about Christians, Muslims. These are offshoots of Yiddishkeit. Eventually, the truth of Yiddishkeit will be established and then the rest of the world can start following suit. The battle in which man's gaze lifted freely up to the one alone in consciousness and moral strength will have overcome whatever threatened to obscure his insight and to corrupt his moral vigor. Then at last, the book of history will impress its final teachings upon every human mind. This is going to be the ultimate when the truth of Yiddishkeit is apparent. The whole world will realize, but don't stifle it. Look, he's not saying we should do this. If it was the final vote, you know... Should we allow for complete intellectual freedom or should we stay? It's hard to know how he would vote. Elias, Rabbi Elias, like, nah, he wouldn't. 
But at the end of the day, because Yiddishkeit was so stifled, and because we don't have access to the objective truth from any Navi or anyone, let, let's, let's have it out. It's going to be painful, and it's going to be hard to watch. And there's going to be some, tra- it's going to be some tragedies. There's going to be some casualties. That's just the nature of it. But you know something? At this point, don't stop it, because if you do, then, you know, and this is a, this is a, a direct critique on the right wing of his time, right? The people that wanted a... You know, I remember I said this a few weeks ago that there was a, a big convention that the Rabbanim called, you know, to deal with the, the, the girls, right? There was a major problem of girls. Boys would go to yeshivas. In Poland, the boys weren't as big of a problem. The girls, they, were, they didn't go... Because the government made them go to government schools. That was like the pshara. The girls went to government schools. They didn't have any education. And the girls were... Terrible, terrible things were happening to them. It was, it was, they were getting taken advantage of and they were, you know, getting kidnapped and sold into prostitution. It was a made terrible, terrible things. And they were going off to derech the stories, there are memoirs of, of these women that their husbands would go, go on vacation, they would be sleeping around, and it was a terrible, terrible time for the girls, right? And of course, we know eventually what happens is Sarishnir, Beis Yaakov, takes over Poland, and that changes the tide. But there was this big convention in the early 1900s, and like, the, you know, the rabbi's writing about it, he wrote, he wrote a whole memoir about it, and he's writing about the minister, and basically, they came out with, and they're about like, you know, no, hey, we have to just double down on it, and they came up with like, their advice was, Tell the girls it's also for them to read Goyesha books, and we have to force the three years, and we have to do this. Like, okay, very good. You know, you come down, you double, you double down, and you refuse to allow different ideas, and then look what happened. And then it just prolonged the agony until that time came when, yes, Beis Yaakov there, Beis Yaakov wasn't universally accepted, right? To this day, Satmar, I think, is anti Beis Yaakov, right? The girls don't really get an education, and maybe that's changing. Maybe, maybe they see that. Uh, but you need to allow the freedom of ideas, the expression of ideas, don't shut down the. Uh, the the the, the slichas comes it says I can't believe I just said that right don't, don't, right in other words you have you know and because if you're not going to allow these things to, 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 to we're not going to allow ourselves to go through that pain then we're just going to be back to square one and we're just going to be stuck for another thousand years let us understand let's just finish the letter I'm sorry I'm going long in which we live dear Benjamin let everyone further the progress of our age towards its goal each according to the power of the mind granted to him. And within this circle, be a large or small. Everyone, Hashem gave you a mind, the way you see things, work hard to push and to try to improve Yiddishkeit with your powers granted to you. And within your circle, your community, your shul, your neighbor, wherever you are, use your understanding of Yiddishkeit. Obviously, you know, there's the Shulchan Aruch, there's the, there's the Torah, which was black and white in a way. But, you know, you know, even if thousands will forsake the cause of light and life, if thousands will turn their back on the destiny and the name of Yisrael, whose way of life they abandoned long ago, the cause of truth is not concerned with the number of its adherents. We don't care how many people are from. We're not, uh, that's not our concern. We're not going to change the Torah because, because people aren't keeping it. Even if only one remains, one single Jew holding the book of Torah in his hand, Yisrael's teachings in his heart and Yisrael's radiance in his spirit, that one Jew suffices and the cause of Yisrael will not be lost. As long as we have one Yid, that's the Hanukkah story, right? You have one Yid, standing up against then the, the cause is not lost, right? The whole Kaisal could have been rebuilt from a Maishu Rabbeinu after the Eagle. When Yisrael had become unfit for its mission, the one alone that desired that the destiny and teaching of Yisrael be carried forth by one man, Maisha, right? That's the Eagle. Maisha Rabbeinu, that's it. As for us, if we were to falter, the prophet calls out to us, gaze upon the rock from which you were hewn, right? Think back to the Avas, upon the fountain hallowed mallet with which you were carved. Look upon Avram, your father, upon Sarah, who was destined to bear you. Only, right, only one was he when I called him. I blessed him and made him many. It was one man in the entire world. One Avram Avinu. You think we have now a Baruch Hashem, a thriving Yiddish guy. It was one man, literally, right, this is talking about two and a half thousand years after the world was created. One man. One man. And from that we have an entire world today. Avram Avinu, right? What? Two and a half thousand. 
1,500. Yeah. Uh, 1,948. 2,000. 2,000. Right? Farewell, dear Yamin. Train yourself to become such a man. Right? One man. This is, you know, uh, you know this, this is like Reich Weinberg writes about, you know, uh, he says, who was the most, the person that had the biggest impact on Yiddishkeit in the 20th century, right? Sarah Schneer, for sure, right? One woman. Okay, she had help maybe at the end. You know, good that takes credit for it, but right? Reich Weinberg himself. Literally one man. Everyone thought he was nuts. We love to sugarcoat history. Reich Weinberg was a, was a radical. He was, people thought he was crazy, right? One man, and you could literally change the tide. But again, Baruch Hashem, we have more than one man, but each one in his own place, in his own thing. You know, don't be afraid of, of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the competition of ideas. Don't be afraid. And in fact, there's no other way to do it at this point. To sit there and to try to force one direction, one thing will end up ultimately stifling Yiddishkeit. Let these ideas express themselves. You have to do what you feel is right. There's no question. Right? But ultimately, the light of Torah, the truth of Torah will be built. And again, in our own days, we're seeing the process unfold. The universal, what we're around today, you look at a town like Lake, you look at Eretz Yisrael, it would be absolutely, uh, absolutely um, not surprised. <laughs>